the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode 260 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Houston. Today, we are going to talk about all of the conference championship games that went down in Division One, and then we're going to talk about the bracket that came out last night afterwards. But I definitely want to talk about how did they get there? How did these teams win their automatic qualifiers? How did it play out for the at-large bids and all of that crap. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell if you're watching on YouTube. If you're a YouTube watcher and uh, you want to kind of go in and out of the audio, Spotify has both the video and the audio version together. So if you're the, if, or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you want to listen and maybe see some of the highlights, because if you're an audio listener only, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you switch to Spotify, you can, you know, while we're doing the recap part of uh, each game and showing the highlights, you can actually watch them real quick, see the highlights as I'm talking about the game and doing the rundown. And then you can always just switch back to the audio um, once I'm done with the highlights for that game and, you know, go in and out. So Spotify is actually the better place to watch it, if, even if you are an Apple person because you get both the audio and the video version together but i'm going to shut the and then you can go to laxfactor.com support us that way watch the videos there get lacrosse uh, p- uh, podcast related swag t-shirts all sorts of crap i'm going to shut up we're going to go we're going to get into the first game i want to talk about here number 14 michigan at number seven maryland the i just put my last media poll in moments before recording this here early monday morning so they'll that'll change here the rankings i think maryland's obviously going to get bumped up a little bit after beating hopkins and uh penn state losing in the semis as well anyway Michigan had already defeated Maryland by a margin earlier in the season, and I expected Maryland to come out ready to play against the Wolverines, and that that didn't happen. Bryce Clay, Michael Bame, and Josh Zawada made sure the Terps defense knew who the big swinging dicks were. Clay put up a first-half hat-trick, scoring his first two less than two minutes apart as the first quarter approached its close. The first came with 3.53 left. Zawada found Clay sneaking up that left side, hit him, and Clay wrapped one around his defender, put it into the top right corner off the deck. Very nice shot. That broke a two-all tie. The second came just under a minute and a half later. Zawada was carrying the ball at X, found him alone, uh, cutting from mid to low crease. Easy finish for Clay, and that made it 4-2 Michigan. Michigan extended their lead to 6-3, but Maryland got one back, and that's when Michael Bame took over. His first of Michigan's four-goal run, it was actually his second of the game, came with 9.54 left, another Zawada feed. He hit Bame out top with tons of room to step down. He buried it bottom right on Brian Ruppel. His third goal of the game, second of the run, came just four seconds later off the ensuing faceoff. Justin uh, uh, Wheatfeld. I believe is the proper pronunciation here. He won it forward on Luke Wehrman, booked it upfield, hit Bame on the low left wing, and Bame put it home. That made it 8-4 Michigan. Bame wasn't done, and Josh Zawada continued being Michigan's best sharer as he found Bame on the backside of the defense as he was dodging down the left side of the field. 10-4 Michigan, and that was all she wrote. Now, a huge factor in this game here, and it's going to be a factor in another game we'll talk about. Uh, terrible defense by Maryland off ball. As I'm talking about Zawada's assists here, he had a big day feeding the ball, feeding the rock. Uh, there wasn't a single scenario I think that I showed, rolled a highlight for where uh, Zawada had actually beat his man, forced a slide, and then that forced the defense into shifting, and that's why 
Michigan would score those off-ball goals. He was dodging, but his helpers to Clay and Bame were all the result of defenders just getting lost on the field. Now, once Michigan started kind of abusing Maryland on the crease a little bit, Maryland tried to kind of crash a little bit more, so that backside help was backing the crease a little bit more, and Michigan just flipped that, and then they started picking them apart from the outside instead. So it was a very ugly day overall for Maryland on defense. Uh, and I, I presume Ajax Zapatello not playing in this game probably played into that. Maycar kind of tends to run the defense, and now Maycar's got double duty because he's without the best, I think, on-ball cover man in, in Zapatello being on the field, and that makes Maycar's life more difficult. And then just having one less All-American caliber defender on the field is always going to make things a little bit rougher for you on defense. Now, credit Justin Wheatfeld and Nick Rowlett for winning 11 of 21 draws against the veritable killer Luke Weirman. They've been surprisingly good all year. Uh, and they actually dominated Weirman in their first meeting. Now, Weirman did a much better job this outing. He won 10 of 20, but that wasn't nearly enough for Maryland, obviously, as we see here. Taylor Hunter, he was another fat, huge factor for Michigan. He stopped 14 uh, uh, shots to just five goals against. The Michigan defense didn't do anything insane defensively. They played well. They didn't get abused in their 1v1 matchups, and Taylor did the rest. He's uh, split time with Shane Carr a bunch this season so far, but I'm assuming after this game, he's probably getting the bulk of the runs here. Or I mean, he's probably going to get the, the start here in the NCAA tournament and get a full game, unless there was some sort of reason why Shane Carr didn't play. But uh, I believe they did this earlier in the season where Carr was the hot goalie, and they let him continue to play. Uh, so we'll see if that, that that pans out here for Taylor. If we dive into the individual stats here, we see for Michigan, Clay, four and two off four shots. Kid puts up six points. That's not too bad. Josh Zawada finished with two goals, four helpers. Michael Bame, five goals. And then guys like Ryan Cohen, one and two, they filled it out pretty well. We see here... Wheatfeld, 6 of 9 on the draws. Rowlett, 5 of 12 on the draws. So that kind of duo has been effective in trying to mix it up against other teams' face-off men. And they, they've consistently gone with both of them, even where one of them has the hotter hand. So just continually using them both, getting them both reps has been enough to kind of allow them to, to hang tight and do well at that dot. If we look at what Maryland did here, Eric Spanos, 3-0, Braden Erksa, they kind of contained Erksa effectively, two goals off just six shots on the day. And like I said, we come down to the goalie battle here. Taylor Hunter had himself a day, 14 saves, five goals against, versus Brian Rupel, who only made eight saves against 14 goals against. Like I said, not Rupel's fault, really. You'd like to maybe pick up a couple more of those, but that, that Maryland defense did no help uh, to Rupel. They provided him with very little support. And that made it very rough all day. Hell of a game overall for Michigan. A hell of a story for Michigan here. And they're one of the bid stealers here. Uh, we had talked about and uh, how it worked out with the seedings and the at-large bids and all of that crap that uh, the Big Ten favorite needed to win and the Ivy League favorite needed to win their respective tournaments in order to make sure that some of these bubble teams were able to get in. Uh, bubble teams like Denver, for instance. And uh, we'll talk about the bracket and all that crap after. But Michigan is one of the bid stealers for sure here. Let's get into our next game that I have to talk about here. It's going to be Georgetown and Denver. I don't know why it's jumping up and down the screen like that. That was weird. Uh, the Big East Championship went down exactly pretty much as Georgetown wrote it up. The Hoyas jumped out to a 7-0 lead before Denver had a chance to even realize that the game had started, and it really did look that way. Nikki Solomon, the UNC transfer, went off scoring the game's first three goals, including three of the game's first four goals. Now, the first two 
Easy finishes off the crease where Denver's defenders simply lost track of him enough for him to be able to get his hands free, thanks to some timely feeds from Jacob Kelly and Brian Minicus. So those two goals kind of similar to each other, where Solomon's just on the crease, fades off the crease a little bit, they find him. He sticks it. His third in a row was a step down off a dish from Graham Bundy Jr. Looked like it might have been a little bit in the subbing game. A little bit of confusion there out of Denver. Solomon didn't stop there. He went on to score six goals on the day. His final strike came with 1040 left in the third quarter. Another dish to the crease. This time, he face-dodged his way to an easier shot, and that made the score 12-2 to Georgetown. Now, like Maryland, Denver played absolute shit. Like, they played like absolute shit on defense. Yes, the Pios have gotten no help from their goaltenders, and oftentimes you could blame the goaltenders for just not stopping anything. But uh, at this point here, it was a total breakdown on the on Denver's defense. They did not do anything well off ball. Once again, similar situation to uh, what Maryland did. It wasn't even necessarily situations where guys had to slide and the defense had to shift. They just lost track of people all over the field. Alex Stathakis did all he could for Denver. He won 14 of 21 at the dot. Stathakis had an incredible year and is a huge reason Denver's in the hunt for an at-large bid. At the time I wrote this up, Denver was at hunt in the hunt for an at-large bid. Even with this loss, it didn't pan out that way by the end. It was going to be really rough for him even when I wrote it up. But anyway, the question here now becomes for Stathakis. Uh, he mentioned to somebody uh, uh, that he was going to come back to Denver. I know that that was originally the plan. I've heard rumblings that he may be looking to transfer and play his fifth year abroad. And I've heard rumblings that that place could potentially be Syracuse. Now, I'm not sure that I have no no way to verify that outside of I've heard it from multiple people that that may be a thing because there's some other uh, two other guys that I've mentioned that may be also transferring to Syracuse that I'm not going to talk about until their team gets knocked out of the tournament, but they are big gets if it proves to be true. They went to the same school as Stathakis here. Uh, they're all Canadians, so that makes sense if it were to be true. Anyway, uh, that's it. Danny Hanks in cage for Georgetown. He looked great. He's He had some struggles here early in the season when Georgetown started 0-3, started splitting time a little bit with the other goalkeeper, uh, who was it, uh, Scarfenberger or however, however you pronounce that. But now that he's been back in cage and starting for Georgetown, he's looked good. He stopped 12 of the 17 shots that he faced against Denver here on Sunday. Was this game on Sunday or was this game on Saturday? I forget here now. Uh, an interesting stat was on the ground ball front. Georgetown picked up 27 ground balls to Denver's 21, which is actually a rare feat when the opponent's FOGO absolutely messes you up, as Stathakis did winning 14 of 21 at the dot. Um, uh, Georgetown looked more aggressive all day long on the field. Offensively, it, it, they just keep coming at you. They were crisp. They played clean lacrosse. But uh, I thought that was weird and worth mentioning that they did win the ground ball battle despite losing 14 of 21 faceoffs at the dot. If we come in here and we look at what Denver did from a scoring perspective, not much. J.J. Silstrop, 2-0, Noah Manning, you know, I mean, it, they, they got nothing done. You see the only bright side really here was Alex Stathakis winning 14 of 21. And if we come down and we look at Georgetown, Solomon, 6-1 and one off eight shots, an incredible day for him. Dordovic went 4-1, and one. Jacob Kelly, 1-3, Brian Minikis, 2 and one, so the transfers getting it done for Georgetown here. Declan McDermott one and one. TJ Haley zero oh and two. Graham Bundy Jr. didn't even need to get in the scoring action. He has just a helper. Uh, and then if we come to the cause turnovers, Will Bowen two cause turnovers, two GBs here. Not a bad day. And then as I say, Hinks here. 
12 saves against five goals against. He wins the goalie battle by a wide margin. But I will mention this. Malcolm Kleban, he got three saves, nine goals against. That's a terrible outing. Jack Thompson also played a half, five saves against five goals against. So he came in and gave uh, Denver a little bit of stability. But it didn't really matter here in the end. And uh, that was all she wrote. We will talk about it. It's known now Denver did not get a bid. They did not get an automatic qualifier because of the way that the conference tournaments ended up playing up, playing out. And we had enough upsets that they stole bids from some teams that would have gotten at larges. In the end, what they're saying, because it's a sexier way to say it, is Princeton. The next game we're going to talk about, Princeton cost Denver the bid, which is fitting considering that was the team uh, coach Tierney had won a you know a buttload of national championships with. So we're going to stop talking about that game. We are going to get in here, and we are going to talk about Yale and Princeton. I did not put the score here in my notes. I'm going to add them now. So Yale and Princeton, outside of Yale, nodding things up at one goal each, just 21 seconds into the contest. It was actually a long pole goal by Jack Stusen after Princeton had scored six seconds off the opening faceoff. So let me like frame this. Princeton scores right off the opening faceoff, six seconds in. Stusen scores 21 seconds into the game off the very next faceoff, and now it's one-to-one. Bo Peterson broke that tie just 19 seconds later via the old hidden ball trick. Faked the flip, carried lightly to the right corner, let it rip from about like 17, maybe like as much as 20 yards away. Uh, that was now two to one Princeton, and it didn't stop there. Yale actually actually won the ensuing faceoff, but Rodriguez's shot was saved by Gianfrancaro. He hits Jake Stevens going up the other way. As Stevens approached the goal, his defender never closed out on him. He lets it loose, scorches it past Paquette, off stick hip, a little bit higher than off stick hip. Now it's three one Princeton, and at this point, four goals had been scored in the game's first sixty one seconds. So that's pretty incredible. And then things never improved for, uh, from there for Yale as Prin- Princeton continued to lay it on thick through the end of the first quarter. Sean Cameron dodged to the middle of the field, got his hands free, and scored on a weak bouncer. That made it 4-1 Princeton. Later on in the quarter, Princeton beat Yale in the, in the subgame. Princeton has done an incredible job late in the season uh, in the subgame trying to take advantage of, match- of matchups. Christian Ronda found Cameron open in the middle of the field. Cameron stepped down and laced it off stick hip. This one officially off stick hip. And now it's 5-1 Princeton. Now to risk sounding like a broken record, it just kept going as uh, Princeton stretched their lead to 7-1 off a Jake Stevens man up goal. He got free on the crease, ripped a three quarters low to high uh, uh, shot. Vardaro got the assist on that one. I need to get a drink here because my mouth is stupid dry. Swishing it around in my mouth like it's a wine to make sure I'm, I'm lubricating my mouth properly here. It was uh, 16 to 4 in favor of Princeton before Yale finally got their shit together and started actually playing some lacrosse. They closed out the third quarter with a couple of goals to get back to 16 to 9. They scored the first three goals of the fourth, uh, you know, which is what allowed them to kind of get that back. But uh, Princeton answered. They stopped the rally. They took a 17-9 lead, and then that was all she wrote. I screwed that that section up a little bit as I wrote that. Uh, as has been the case for Michael G. and for Caro, he took, uh, since he's taken over in cage for Princeton, the junior netminder was very good when called upon, and he was called upon often. Not too often, but often enough, especially over the course of the fourth quarter. Why is this not loading? This is a weird, uh, a weird turn of events for me as I'm trying to get into these team stats here. Let me try refreshing that page and see if that helps. Here we go. It's probably my kids wheezing the Wi-Fi upstairs. 
All right, here we go. So if we come down here and we look at the goalie statistics here, Gian for Carl, 17 saves against nine goals against. The dude has just been absolutely incredible. Like, you know, Podcat, I don't want to bash him for 13 saves against 19 goals against because that that Princeton offense man they're sharing the ball well they're they're winning one-on-one matchups as Dodgers they're doing pretty much everything well at this point if we look at points they don't let me uh, uh, sort them here but Slusher two and one uh, Sean Cameron three and oh uh, Alexander Vardaro two and two Coulter Mackesy two and three uh, and then it was Jake Stevens here who had six goals and a helper off six shots. So according to the stats anyway, dude takes six shots, scores six goals. That is not too bad. Then I think he had uh, yep, no ground balls, which can't be a, an accurate stack, uh, stat either here at this point. Um, for Yale, Leo Johnson, just one and one. Matt Brandau, just one and one. Chris Lyons was a little better, two and two here, but Yale just couldn't get it done. Yale's offense has been very good. You know, especially the second half of the season here, just not able to get it done today. Princeton's defense did an incredible job. If we look at the face-off battle here, we see that um, Andrew McMeekin took the bulk of the draws here for Princeton. He wins 16 of 29. Uh, who took the other two? Kobe G- uh, Ginder, he took the other two. But yeah, so Meekin... McMeekin did a great job. I actually didn't include these stats and didn't take a look at these because I wrote this up yesterday, hadn't gone back in to preview them. So it's kind of flying by the seat of my pants here. Anyway, Princeton punches their ticket to the NCAA tournament. They had to win this game to get in. They do, in fact, win this game. They get in, and we will move on to the least important game of the— this is the second least important game of the entire weekend is what I can say here. Carolina— at Notre Dame. Notre Dame Notre Dame had already beaten Carolina in their first meeting uh, a couple weeks ago by a score of 16 to 9. This game didn't go as well for UNC, a game that they needed to win to have any shot in an at-large bid. They wouldn't have gotten an at-large bid even with this win, but at the time this game was played, they were still crossing their fingers and praying to God that something cool could happen, but I I never believed even if they had won it uh, by the time everything was over that they were going to get in. Uh Pat Kavanaugh he scored a goal and six helpers on the day, four ground balls, and a forced turnover. He assisted the game's first goal, man up. The Irish ping-ponged the ball around, and at one point, uh, Kavanaugh hits Ricky Ardelli on the high crease. He banged it right back out. Very basketball high post kind of look. It eventually comes back to Ricky Ardelli from Kavanaugh. He puts it stick side uh, pipe of Krieg. Now we're uh, um, that was it was a beautiful goal. Just a great you know bang 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 man up play. Pat's fourth assist of the game uh, went to his brother Chris with 3.28 left in the third quarter. That made the score 13-4 to Notre Dame. Chris finished with five goals and a dish off nine shots, two ground balls, and a cause turnover. So the Kavanaugh brothers, they don't just score goals and put up points. They pick up GBs. They force turnovers. They do everything. Pat picked up his fourth uh, and fifth assists early in the fourth quarter, both to Jake Taylor, just 64 seconds apart. Taylor finished the game with three goals and an assist. And and I just want to say this about Jake Taylor. Dude has some really, really soft hands. I mean, yeah, he can score some dope goals too, BTBs, you know, and all sorts of crap like that. But, you know, where he really excels is just simple finishes on the crease, getting lost on the crease. Guys just forget about him somehow, even though you are absolutely not supposed to forget about Jake Taylor. And the dude will just get lost and just kind of touch the ball into the net. He's uh, just got beautiful hands here. And Notre Dame, they won all. They won in all but one statistical category. If we come in here, we see they outshot Carolina by ten. They put seven more shots on Cage in Carolina. Here we see the saves. They had two more saves in Carolina. 
turnovers. They had seven fewer turnovers in Carolina. Uh, clears more. They cleared more effectively, 25 of 27 to 19 of 23. So Carolina failed on more clears, which is obvious when you're playing Notre Dame. That's going to happen. Ground balls. Outground ball, North Carolina by by 10. And this is Carolina's scorebook. I don't know if these are exact stats across the two scorebooks, but even Carolina's scorebook has it this way. Faceoffs was the only stat Carolina won. They win that 17 to 14. Extra man, Notre Dame does not commit a single penalty. And Notre Dame in the extra man is two of three. So that was disaster here uh, for Carolina, and then if we come in here and we just see what everybody did, I've kind of already mentioned it. Pat Kavanaugh, one of six. Chris Kavanaugh, five of one. Jake Taylor, three and one. Eric Dobson, the lefty sniper, three and oh. Ricky Ardelli, two and oh. So, you know, they filled it out and they got help from everybody. Will Lynch, six of 18 at the dot. Colin Hagstrom, part of that two headed monster for Notre Dame's face off. They go six of 14. Like I said, Tyre and company. I think Tyre took the bulk. He went 13 of 25 here, and then Graham Schwartz came in and won four four of six, but it didn't matter because in the end, uh, Notre Dame wins. And they're going to go on to take the, I don't even remember what seed off hip. I think they take the the two seed, but we'll talk about that here in a little bit. And as I said, North Carolina done. They really didn't have a shot, but in their heads, they were playing this game so they could at least be in the conversation and be one of the last teams out. And uh, that, you know, they ended up not even being that. Next game here. I'm talking about a lot of lacrosse, and I'm trying to rip through it here. Uh, we got U Albany playing in the America East Championship game against Bryant. Now, the America East needed overtime to crown their champion. Bryant jumped out to a 7-3 lead on a goal by Kevin Groeninger. I can never say that Bryant legitimately has some of the weirdest names in Division One lacrosse, and I always have a hard time with them. Uh, Kevin Groeninger. Fed by Ryan Dobrinyinski. I mean, seriously, we're just going to start calling them dudes. Uh, nice little two-man game from X. The coma slide went over to cover the guy whose last name starts with a D. He hits the guy whose last name starts with a G, and uh, the backside help never came down. Uh, just an easy dunk, you know, from uh, GLE up the right side. Albany would fight back and end up spending a bit of time late in the third quarter and fourth quarter playing with a one-goal lead. The most important one came with 2.14 left in the game with the score knotted up at tens. Daniel Kesselring dodged from the right wing towards GLE, drew an ill-advised slide, I must say, leaving Silas Richmond wide open on the crease. Backside help never got there. The Danes are now up 11-10 to 10 late in this contest. Bryant needed a little bit of last-second magic to tie things up and force overtime. Albany won the ensuing faceoff, ran the clock right down to the wire, only to see the shot that they took at the as the shot clock expired glance off the top crossbar. Bryant picks it up, goes back the other way. Before getting the ball settled, they turn it over. They have a crazy scrum. The Bulldogs get lucky, pick it up on the sideline. They take a timeout with 36 seconds left in the game. Winning that scrum absolutely 100% saved Bryant's ass in this game. First OT, no scores. Second, oh, and actually, I didn't even talk about the, the, the game tying goal here. The game tying goal was scored by Timmy Hackett, assisted by the guy whose last name starts with G here. That tied the game up after the scrum, and then we get into OT. First OT, no scores. Second OT, Nathan Lillibert. I don't know how to pronounce his either. Once again, weird names. He wins the draw, Albany, and he won the draw easy. He just pops it up to his guy, easy peasy. Albany never got the ball back. I believe Albany did get a stop. At the end of that first possession for Bryant, they turned it over on the clear. That results in Aiden Getz 
getting a dodge up the right side from X and just buried it as he got above GLE, wrapped it around his defender. That's his 42nd goal of the season. Bryant punches their ticket to the NCAA tournament. It was funny also. I don't know if I have it rolling here, but if you watch the scrum at the end when they're all just doing the dog pile on top of each other, there was two dudes that were like closest to the camera that you could tell they were hurting and they were trying to pull themselves out and push people off of them because their legs were all jammed up. You do not want to be on the bottom of one of those piles. I had the pleasure of being on the bottom of one of those piles as a freshman. Uh, scored the game winner in my first game playing college lax and I got dog piled and there was like a dude right here in my ear screaming in my ear to the point where like my ears were ringing for you know easily an hour after the game it was painful it sucked it was un- uncomfortable all that shit but anyway they have the dog pile they're happy Kevin whose last name starts with a G, had a monster day. He scores five goals and two helpers for Bryant. Uh, Getz puts up two goals, including that sudden death game winner. If we come in here and we just want, I just want to torture myself and, and look at stats here. Alex Pfeiffer, three and one for Albany. That's not terrible. We look at what uh, Nathan Lillibert did, is how I'm going to pronounce that, 13 to 23. Not too bad for him. And Kevin with the G, 5-2, and two. Connor McMahon, 1-1, one one. Jack Longsider, 2-0. and oh. So they fill it up a little bit. But then we come down to the goalie battle, and it's, you know, Tegan Alexander, 12 saves, 11 goals against, not too bad. He wins it by a margin here as Tommy Heller only makes 10 saves, 12 goals against. But Brian, they punched their – it would have been a great story. I was actually rooting for Albany. When Albany took that lead late, I was like, all right, here's a team, uh, you know, an upstate New York team that I can kind of hitch my wagon to for the NCAA tournament. I didn't have high hopes that Albany was going to advance, but I would have just liked to have somebody else to root for that I actually enjoy watching. Not so, but it was excellent of Albany that even on a down year, they end up finding themselves in the America East uh, Conference Championship. Uh, It just proves that, you know, these teams that kind of get this mental edge because Albany, you know, between the Thompson brothers and cousins running for them, and then you've got, um, uh, uh, why am I drawing a blank here on, uh, hold on, we got to figure this out. Um, Connor Fields, holy crap, totally drew a blank there. And I wasn't, I was, I, if I was going to sit here in silence for 10 minutes, if I had to draw that name from the databanks, I was actually about one second away from Googling it. But at, they had, you know, a good run with some absolute killers here on attack. And uh, their, their, their weakness was always defense. They were always decent in cage. They could never face off. But that mental edge that they've, they've picked up over those years of being top dog in the America East, it's good to see that still play out come conference tournament time, even when they struggle a little bit. Uh, Let's move on from that one. Let's discuss the next game here that I want to talk about, High Point and Richmond. And uh, Richmond, they slow burned this one to an easy win. This wasn't like a crazy close game or or anything exciting at all. Lance Madonna, very good at lacrosse here in this one. He puts up two goals and four assists off five shots, and the fellas all chipped in as well around him. Dalton Young goes for two goals in a dish, including a really nice wraparound just above GLE, up the right side for a goal. The other Madonna, brother Derek, put up two goals, one of them dished by his brother Lance. In all, 11 players put up at least one point for the Spiders, so they got scoring from everybody. Zach Veek had a great day in cage for Richmond. He stopped 15 shots to just eight goals against. He had nine stops in the first half where Richmond kind of was able to you know, pick up that 6-3 lead. That second quarter, I think, is the one he had five saves in, and they outscored high point 3-1 in that quarter. So that's a big, big time, big time day in cage here for him. Uh, let's see here. Richmond pulled all, uh, let's see here, pulled 
Oh, yeah, Richmond was able to win this game despite losing 17 to 25 draws. That's a pretty good stat there. Uh, Colin Hoban hauled in 16 of 21 for high point, but 20 turnovers. Seven of those turnovers forced by Richmond evened out that possession disparity overall. Tommy Stull and Jack Pilling each forced two of those turnovers for the Spiders. If we come in here and we look at what people did for high point, Jack Van Overbeek, four assists, Jack Sawyer, three goals, and uh, Braden Maia. Uh, I think, is this Braden Maia's last year now? He had two goals on the day. And if we come in here and we look at what Richmond did, Madonna, as I said, two of four, Dalton Young, two and one, Derek Madonna, two and oh. We look at Luke Graham, two and oh, Henry uh, Alpo, two and oh. So they got it done across the board here. And as I said, they got roached at the dot. Didn't matter. They win the game. And you look at Veek stacks down here, 15 saves, eight goals against. Not a bad day for him. So Richmond, punches their ticket to the NCAA tournament. And once again, the these lower uh, conferences here, all of these teams had to win to get in. None of these teams were even remotely going to be considered for an at-large bid. So uh, these th these were playoff games for all these teams legitimately to keep their, their season from ending. Next game we're going to talk about, I don't think I've talked about either of these teams so far this year, was Siena and Marist. Now, Jojo Pareca gave Marist an early 2-1 lead involving some BTB action on a quick feed from Joshua Bal Balkers Belkersel. I mean, I, what? it's so frustrating. Now, listen, I could be better. You could say, hey, be better, man. Do the research. Look it up. I probably could have just listened to the broadcast as I was cutting up highlights, and I would have known how to pronounce that dude's name. And don't think that while I'm looking these up and writing these up, I don't think that, oh, I got to listen to that dude's name and remember how to pronounce it. It's just I get here, I forget to do all of that, and now I'm stuck with trying to pronounce this dude's just absolutely brutal last name. And I'll probably have to say it one more time before I'm done here. Uh, anyway... It was a nice little BTB. Sienna started the second quarter with the ball and a man up with the score tied at twos. Christian Watts got the ball in the right wing and absolutely stung one into the top right corner. A filthy stick. Big ego boost for that kid. I'm going to show the highlight. I'm even going to show the slow motion replay to let you see how that thing just beautifully stuck in that corner. Beautiful looking shot. Marist goes on a five goal run from there. They took a 7 3 lead with 120 left in the half. Sam Farrell, unassisted, a kind of ridiculous dodge, started way out top up by midfield. He just slow rolls it kind of down that left side. His defender never gets on his hands. He kind of bumps him a couple times on the way down, gets his hands free in that five and five region and just stuck it. Terrible defensive effort out of that Sienna short stick defender. Sienna would get two back quickly, but Marist would go on another five-goal run. They'd take a 12-5 lead. That completed a 10-2 run that spanned early in the second quarter to late in the fourth quarter for Marist. Kyle uh, Stofko picked uh, – he, he forced three turnovers and picked up eight ground balls. Not a bad day for him. i got to change my note there. And then Daniel O'Meara stopped 12 shots on just seven goals – with just seven goals against for Marist as well. If we pop in here – and we look at what happened for Sienna. Zach Schuett, he uh, led Sienna 2-2 two and two on the day. We come down and we look at what Maris did here. Joshua Barsarcel, Barcars, you know, I don't know. Joshua with a B is that motherfucking guy's name. He goes 3-1 and one on the day. Jamison Embury, 3-0. Three, uh, three and oh. James Lyons, 1-2. and two. So you see they got it done here. We look at the faceoff dot. Dylan Bedell, he did just enough. 10-21. Keep the possessions even here. And then, as I said, Daniel O'Meara in cage. He wins the goalie battle. His team wins the game. Uh, he has 12 saves, 7 goals against. Not a bad job. And now Marist 
gets themselves back in the NCAA tournament. I think this is like their third conference championship or so uh, over the course of like the last decade, so not too bad for them. Next game we're going to talk about here is Loyola against number 12, Army. Army jumped out to a three-zip lead only to have Loyola answer and not things up at threes about five minutes here into the second quarter. Jacob Morin, he started a six-goal Army run with nine minutes left in the second quarter on a dish from Ryan Spazito. At about, and then about 15 minutes later, Paul Johnson scored on a feed from Andrew Kelly, capping the run and giving Army a 9-3 lead with 9.40 to play in the third quarter. Now, Loyola, they'd go on. They'd kind of go on a run to finish the game. They'd score five of the game's final six goals uh, to make the score respectable, but Army controlled the outcome, and it wasn't really ever in question at all. Uh, the huge stat here, and this is just a ridiculous statistic that we got to talk about, is Will Coletti. Will Coletti wins 18 of 22 at the faceoff dot, only picks up six GBs out of those 18 wins, which means he got a lot of help from his friends on the wings. Deacon Donaldson had four ground balls. Reese Burrick on attack had five ground balls. Uh, 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 AJ Pilati, he had two cause turnovers with two GBs. So Army, from a defensive perspective, did an incredible job. Everybody did a solid job defensively for Army from the long poles all the way down to the short sticks. Offensively, they get it done. Like we said, Ryan Spazito, 2-2. Two two. Reese Burrick, 2-1. Jacob Morin, 2-1. Paul Johnson, 2-0. Oh. So they end up getting scoring from a bunch of guys uh, and spread it out a little bit. And then all of that was helped because not only did they win 18 of 22 faceoffs, but then Knox Dent in cage was excellent. He stops 14 uh, versus just eight goals again. So he ends up being good. Luke Stout, Actually, in cage for Loyola, Loyola did a good job. 11 saves on the day. It could have been worse, I think, overall for Loyola if it wasn't for Stout, especially early in the game, playing pretty solid. So that all factored. Actually, let's see here how the saves broke down. Yeah, we see here in that first quarter, Stout had seven saves over the course of the first quarter. So this could have gotten completely out of hand. He plays tough early, gives Loyola some sort of shot, even though, as I said, the outcome of the game was never really in question. Loyola got those last two goals uh, that they scored to get within two. Loyola was down by four right up until three-minute point where Poitras scored here, or Patras. Is that how you pronounce it, Patras? I always forget to. 10-7, uh, and they get another one late, get it within 10-8, but at that point, it, it didn't really matter. And uh, Army, Army did not have a resume that would have gotten them in. Despite their high ranking, their 12-3 and record, their resume was definitely not good enough to get them an at-large bid, so they needed to win this game to get in. It was good to see Loyola also after getting a couple of huge wins early in the season. They kind of hit the skids middle of the season, so once again for Loyola to finish the way they did to make it to the conference championship and have a shot at making it into the NCAA tournament after that middle of the, the middle stretch of their season. Excellent for them, but credit to Army for winning it and, and just an absolute monster day out of Will Coletti. You know, you can't say enough good things about him. The next game, now that we have to talk about Air Force and Utah. Utah coming in at number 19 before this new poll is going to hit today. Air Force started strong. They take a 4-2 lead after Josh Yego scored on a dish from Brandon Dodd. Dodd saw the double. He hit uh, Yego, who was fading at X. Yego was able to just sprint up that left side and bury it. Uh, there was no slide. I said he beat the slide, but really he just went up that side. The slide never got there. It was his man who was trying to recover and never could. That fade was perfect, by the way. Uh, but Utah scored seven out of the next eight goals with Jared Andri Andriala. That's how we're going to say that one. Andriala. Scored with 12.05 left in the third quarter. That gives Utah a 6-5 lead. They would extend that lead to 9-5, and they'd never look back from there. Air Force, another game here where 
a face-off man, and this one's even crazier here. Cole Brams wins 21 of 23 with 18 GBs. So unlike Coletti, who was kind of winning the draws to the wings and getting a lot of help from his friends, Cole Brams has 18 GBs and wins 21 of 23 draws in this game. It's incredible that Air Force was even be able was even able to keep this within two with that level of possession disparity. And then as we jump in here and we look at what Utah did from a scoring perspective, Carson Moyer, four goals, Jordan Hyde, 2-0. A bunch of guys just put up two points here. Uh, let's see here. Jordan Hyde, Ryan Steins, Tyler Bradbury, and Koa Todd all put up two points in this win. Not the scoring output that Utah wanted, especially with that possession disparity. So credit to Air Force's defense. Credit to Jason Rosen goal. He makes 11 saves to 11 goals against. Utah goals keeper uh, Colin Lenskold, nine saves, nine goals against. So both goalies are sitting at exactly 50%. Great story for Utah, though. They did not have an automatic qualifier opportunity until they hopped into this conference here. So for them to get to make the NCAA tournament, their draw is probably going to rough be rough and we'll look at who they have to play. But Utah notches their ticket to their first NCAA tournament. So that was pretty, pretty dope. Now the only game uh, here that I don't have highlights for, because I think this game is on lacrosse TV and I won't touch their highlights with a 10 foot pole. Cause I'm afraid they'll copyright strike me was uh, Stony Brook and Delaware, and I have the absolute wrong stats up here. So hold on. We got to get to their schedule. Of course, I was going to do that. Now, I do have this written up, so I could fudge it, but let's get it up here so you're looking at the right visual. All right, here we go. Stony Brook in Delaware. Now I got the right crap in. Now, things went according to plan uh, for Delaware against Stony Brook on Saturday in the CAA championship game. They held a 7-5 lead at the half and outscored the Seawolves 3-1 over the third quarter to give themselves a four-goal cushion heading into the fourth. It was 13-8 Blue Hens before Stony Brook rattled off three straight goals to finish the game, but it didn't matter, and Do Delaware will once again take the CAA's automatic qualifier. J.P. Ward, 4-2. Actually, we'll just look at it over here instead of me going for my notes so you can see it. Uh, JP Ward, four goals, two assists, Ty Kurtz, two and two. Uh, what was Mike Robinson was two and one right here. And they combined for 13 points total. Those three guys did Stony Brook dominated the faceoff dot Stony Brook. You can see here. Yeah. This dude here, uh, uh, Renz Conlon, he wins 17 to 20 on the day. These guys kind of chipped in, mixed things up, but Conlon did a, a great job. And despite, Winning 17 to 20 here with 10 GBs, it wasn't good enough for Stony Brook, and they lose. Delaware needed all of Matt Kilkerry's saves, though, because of that uh, possession disparity. Kilkerry goes for 14 saves against 10 goals against, so he has a good day in cage. And Delaware punches their ticket to the NCAA tournament. Now, we're going to get into the bracket crap here. And I'm not going to go crazy here. We're already at 38 minutes, so I'm not going to go absolutely nuts in talking about all of this. But what we see ended up happening between the, the three-headed monster in the ACC of Duke, Notre Dame, and Virginia, we see that Duke at 13-2. and two. Maybe I can zoom in on this a little bit more for you. Let's go even more. There we go. You can see Duke here, the number one seed. They are 13-2. and two. I think that's deserving. I think they got it right. I think this was absolutely just an RPI play. They're going to play the winner of the play-in game between Delaware and Marist. Delaware and Marist had the lowest RPIs, so they get stuck having to play the play-in game, and they will end up playing Duke at Duke. 
So that's a hell of a job for Duke picking up that one seed. If we come down here, and you can't see it here on my screen, but it is number two, Virginia. They pick up the two seed. They're going to host a game at Clockner against Richmond, who got in via the automatic qualifier for their tournament. We jump up here to the number three seed. It's going to be Notre Dame at 10-2. and two. They will host a game at Arlada against Utah. So Utah's, uh, um, what would you call it? You know, they're, hey, congrats, pat on your back. Now go play Notre Dame at Arlada. That'll be interesting, though, because Utah offensively can put up a bunch of goals. They've got a faceoff guy that could maybe eke a bunch of wins out and maybe give them a possession advantage. Notre Dame is uniquely equipped to kind of offset that possession advantage by turning those faceoff wins into faceoff losses and then getting some back by riding. Uh, I don't think Utah has faced anyone all year that rides the way that Notre Dame does. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But Utah capable of scoring some goals here. And I do think we may see some upsets here in this first round based on I think there's a lot of matchups that could go to the unseeded team. I don't think I, I think that the first three here that we're looking at, I think between Notre Dame, Utah, Virginia and Richmond and Duke and Delaware or Marist. I think Duke's going to win hands down no matter who they end up playing. I, I believe that Duke will win. I believe Notre Dame is going to beat Utah. I would say if anybody uh, is capable of pulling an upset out of one of those three top uh, three ACC seeds, I think it's Richmond has a history of playing Virginia well. Maybe Richmond can work some magic. But honestly, I don't remember seeing a scenario where you got the first three seeds and you're looking at them thinking like, all right, hey, Richmond could beat. Virginia because they have done it before, even in cases where they've been completely outmatched in terms of talent. So that's something to watch. I do, if I had to bet and bet my life on all of them, I'm picking top three seeds, I'll get wins. <clears throat> but that in Richmond, Virginia game, people are going to be watching that one closely. We come up here, Maryland, uh, despite losing in the Big Ten finals, they do get the four seed and they will play Army at home at uh, in College Park. That one, I think Army could absolutely beat Maryland. Now, Army hasn't been as battle-tested, so even sitting at 12-3, and three, even though they won their conference tournament, that conference tournament was probably the, big, the, the best stretch of quality games that Army played back-to-back -back overall. So Army, not as battle-tested as Maryland. Obviously, Maryland has a bunch of quality wins. Army has barely any, but Army... Don't front on them. They're playing really good defense. They have a face-off guy in Will Coletti that can hang with Luke Weirman. That's been proven defensively. They're strong. They got a good goalkeeper. So I like the way the Army's defense matches up with Maryland's offense. I like the way that Will Coletti matches up with Luke Weirman. Uh, and, and then Army offensively, I think, you know, Maryland's defense hasn't been playing great. Army's good at sharing the ball. So that's another upset alert right here. And I think this is probably, in terms of the top four seeds, I think this has the, the best potential for us to see an upset. Once again, though, I do think Maryland will probably pull this game out. I don't want to shit on the Terps, although I think that you know Tillman has been a dickhead lately uh, in the way he's behaved. I did not like the way that handshake went down. I don't know the whole story, but I know as a head coach, you've got a colleague who won his first Big Ten championship. You would have thought that was worth a handshake and a good job as opposed to a glancing handshake and then barely made eye contact and took off. I thought that was kind of bullshit. So not a good look for Tillman. Fuck him. But I, I, I don't want to. I, I, I don't put that on the Maryland players in any way, shape, or form. I'm a huge fan of what this Maryland team has done. I'm a fan of what Tillman has done with this team. I just think Tillman has shown that he's a huge dickhead here overall this season. And I know he doesn't care, and I know Maryland fans don't care. You can all say, hey, fuck you, Ted. You're a moron. That might be true. Uh, I'm just saying what I'm seeing, and uh, I'm bashing your coach. So don't get too butthurt, but it happens. Number five. 
seed. Penn State, they're going to take on Princeton. That's not a draw you want right now. Princeton, you know, struggled a little bit earlier in the season, but they had a pretty rough schedule. The, the kicker with Princeton is it took them a little while offensively to get their feet, and then I think in goal, they weren't having great success until Gian Forcaro started in cage, and I think that kind of solidified that, hey, now we've got our starting goalkeeper. He's capable of winning a game for us in certain scenarios. That helped the defense find a little bit more consistency, and then I think that bled into the offense playing well all at the same time. So Princeton right now is playing insanely good lacrosse, and Penn State's going to have their hands full. That one, 50-50 coin flip. I, I wouldn't call Penn State the favorite in this one just because they're the number five seed here overall. Uh, the number six seed goes to Johns Hopkins. They draw Bryant. Another really tough draw. I do like Hopkins in this one overall, but Bryant, Hopkins, you know, they've been decent at the faceoff dot this year, but Bryant, Lillibert, little Lillibert, Lillibertie, however the hell you say his name, he's done a great job. So if he can mark Hopkins at the faceoff dot, that's going to create some problems for Hopkins overall. Their offense is going to need the ball enough to make things happen and to get comfortable. I still think Hopkins will win this game. They are far more battle-tested than Bryant is, but another interesting matchup here. We go from there to seven. Georgetown drops. So, so far, we've got the top three teams, all ACC. The next uh, four through six are all Big Ten. Now we get into Georgetown. They won their automatic qualifier. They're sitting at 12-3. and three. Georgetown story, as you know, they dropped the first three of the, uh, of the season to all solid teams, and then they went on a 12-game winning streak, including their conference tournament. They're going to draw Yale. Now, Yale has not finished strong. They, they played well in the ACs, in the uh, Ivy League tournament, but sitting here at 9-5, and five, Yale's one of those teams a lot of people are pissed that they got in and didn't understand it, but it comes down to RPI, quality wins. Uh, they don't have any terrible losses overall, uh, so they're going to pull Georgetown here. And, I mean, from a matchup perspective – I like Georgetown. I like George. I think Georgetown's a little bit better at the faceoff dot. I think Georgetown is better defensively. I like Yale's how Yale grinds it, uh, grinds it out defensively, and they play physical. But Georgetown's going to do the same thing. What I really like about Georgetown now is their offense is humming. They are taking care of the ball. They're sharing the ball. They're aggressive. They never stop dodging. It's just bang. One guy goes. If the help gets there, they bang it around. The next guy goes, and it just never stops. They just keep hitting you on opposite sides of the field over and over and over again. So I like what Georgetown's been doing. Hinks has been looking better in cage now, and it looks like now he owned, he's owned that spot over their last few games. And it's settled in after getting benched earlier in the season. Uh, so I think that's going to play well for Georgetown. So I think Georgetown wins that game, but that's another near 50-50 coin flip. And then we've got the last seeded team, which is Cornell. They get a home game in Ithaca next weekend. They're going to take on Michigan right now, who's one of the hottest teams in the country. Taylor and Cage has looked really good. Looks like he's stolen that from Carr, so we might not get to see Carr in the NCAA tournament. Uh, the face-off two-headed monster of Wheatfeld and Rowlett have been really good, but offensively, they've been excellent. Josh Zuada, instead of putting up a bunch of goals, he's been dishing the rock when help has come or when it has hasn't. So Michigan and to boot the adjustments that Michigan made as Maryland adjusted and started covering the crease a little better. Michigan didn't skip a beat and they just start, they're just finding the open man on the field and they're sharing the, the wealth. Well, I do still like Cornell a little bit, but Cornell defensively, they've struggled. They're not a great defensive team, even with Gavin Adler on that, on the field, they, they kind of rely on Erlen making saves and Gavin Adler trying to take away a team's top threat, but Michigan, their top threat, isn't their only threat, and that could bleed in. That could cause problems overall for Cornell here, and especially if Taylor plays solid in cage, 
We've now we've got more problems for Cornell. Cornell though has the X factor. They got the best player in the field in Kirst or Adler. I mean, they have the best two players in the field overall. So that should do well for Cornell. And if we talk about that Delaware Marist game, 50-50 coin flip. I think I like Delaware. Delaware has experience, NCAA experience. They've got the, the three-headed monster on attack. So I do like Delaware to win that game. And I think they'll end up being the team that ends up playing Duke. And that's it. I'm sorry. I missed the, the midweek show uh, because I was sick. I had a terrible sore throat. If I just had like a cold or something, I would have fought through it. But I had a sore throat and could barely talk for the most part. And I certainly didn't want to talk into a mic for almost 50 minutes, which is what I've done right now. So I will be back. We'll put the show out on Thursday because I want to cover the play-in game on Thursday, which then we know what happens on Saturday. So uh, I'll probably put the preview show out on Thursday after the play-in game. So it'll be Thursday morning for the preview show. Watch though. You know, because I say that, but I might just sit here and be like, come Wednesday, eh, screw it. My work day is not too bad, so I might just end up doing it Wednesday. So pay attention, but at least by Thursday, I will definitely get the preview weekend preview show out. And then we've just got a full weekend of, of playoff lacrosse. We'll also get start getting into the, the D2 and the D3 matchups for their tournaments coming up here. So I'll talk about them. I know I keep saying I was going to talk about them, but man... I say there was less D1 games, but in the end, it ended up just being I had to cover every D1 game that was played this weekend uh, in, in some level of depth here overall. So that's it. I'm going to shut the hell up here and get out. So please, please come back for Thursday morning's show, and then I'll be back on Monday again next week with the whole weekend first round wrap up. And I will definitely dive into some D2 and D3 action, uh, at least the bigger games. So that's it. As always, you can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way, uh, share the videos, uh, share the podcast, let everybody know what we're doing over here. Uh, but that's it. I'm out. I'm going to shut up. Uh, so thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. That was a really messy ending, wasn't it? I didn't close that up well at all.
Podcast. <laughs>